When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Smoke will make you choke deep in the heart of Jersey and the city rats run in big packs deep in the heart of Jersey. Oh, the parkway man takes the money from your hand deep in the heart of Jersey and old Route 17. The traffic there is mean deep in the heart of Jersey. The voice you hear there is one of the most legendary entertainers of the course of the last half century. He has had an incredible amount of success on television, in film, in radio, as a stage performer. And he is a brilliant man, brilliant entertainer, but uh, a guy that uh, seems to know everything about everything. He's bilingual. He has a razor-sharp wit, one of the funniest people that I've ever spoken to, and uh, somebody that um, I always am eager to look for any opportunity to interact with. If you've, ever had the, if you've never had the opportunity to see him in person, make sure you do uh, as soon as the opportunity becomes available. It gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome the one and only Uncle Floyd, Floyd Vivino. Uncle Floyd, thanks for getting up early for us. Well, listen, Frank, thank you so much, but I think I'm having a dream right now, and I'm going to wake up any minute <laughs> after that big introduction. Can I say so? I, I played, I did a, a not, not, of course, I'm not putting any, uh, taking any light away from your uh, 33 hours on uh, consecutive on uh, TV thought. I did I played the piano for 24 hours and 15 minutes straight. Well, it sounds like I got nine hours on you, Floyd. You do, but but playing the piano, I just had to sit at a piano. We raised money for uh, a little boy with uh, some medical issues, you know, bills and that that kind of thing. Maybe we can work on a record together. We can collaborate on something. That's what I was leaning up to, but you're always one step ahead of everybody. That's what I want to do. So, uh, <laughs> Floyd, you are the greatest. So we'll we'll, we'll chat off air on uh, on something that we can that we can uh, collaborate on. What did you do for St. Joseph's Day on Saturday? Anything? I ate Sfinge Zeppoli di San Giuseppe, which is special Italian pastry for those who uh, uh, know this kind of thing in honor of San Giuseppe, St. Joseph's Day. But I was also on a crusade about St. Patrick's Day that the Irish claim and uh, the, about their 40 shades of green. And uh, a fellow of Irish ancestors, you know, Uncle Floyd, we have 40 shades of green in Old Ireland, <laughs> and nobody has 40 shades of green. I says, hold it right there. The Italian-American people, we, we have 40 shades of green lettuce and uh, uh, salad. We have uh, 30 shades of green in veg, other in vegetables. In broccoli gro- broccoli rob alone. Oh, broccoli rob, gardoon, it goes on and on. Escarole, uh, purifazule, fazul, escarole. We can be here all day with our shades of green. And not many people uh, are concerned with this matter, but uh, it, it, it does get to me. Plus, 
what is soda bread? It's panatone. If you ever have Irish soda bread, it's in a version of the Italian panatone. And what is this thing about? We have parsley, and they have the green clover. But uh, anyway, what, what can we do? Do you so? Do you do the corned beef and cabbage thing on St. Patrick's Day as well? I never had it. No, so you you stay away from that. No, I never had macaroni out of a can either. <laughs> I think this was the greatest crime. Now I know you've had some people of questionable repute. Is that the word uh, of uh, a criminal background over the years you've interviewed? But uh, this was the most hideous crime of all time to put a chef—I won't say his name—macaroni in a can with meatballs the size of marbles. Uh, this this is not uh, permissible in my culture. But so, what's the problem with corned beef and cabbage, though? That's a staple. Well, I don't even know what it is. What is beef? Is it corn? I mean, I don't get it. I I guess I don't drink that much. I can't have it. No, I imagine it's great, but I don't get excited over a boiled potato and some cabbage. I mean, we we ate a lot of cabbage in the Italian diet. Sure. Now, naturally. Hey, so we played that song that you had uh, written and composed deep in the heart of, uh, of Jersey. Jersey. When did you first come up with that song? 1976. And then we made a record of it. But I don't know where you got that version you had, because that's just me at the piano. And I think that's a later one. But uh, I did it with my brothers. We we cut it as a record. And then we we recorded it about four different times. But the one you just played is the rarest to find. Uh, uh, It's just me on the piano. Well, hey, we find those hidden gems. But speaking of uh, hidden gems and rare recordings, you actually have a pretty a pretty comprehensive record collection yourself, don't you? Oh, gosh. I mean, I I had a warehouse full of records. A lot of them got ruined in that terrible flood we had. Uh, I, uh, in uh, Patterson, New Jersey, where my warehouse was housing about a million records, we lost a ton of them. But um, I still have a very extremely large collection. I had supposedly the world's largest collection of Italian-American records, that I had uh, an Italian records from Italy for, I think, 30 years, 31 years, I had an Italian language radio show in New York area. Yeah, I used to be amazed. Every weekend I'd listen to you doing an English language program on one station, and then I'd listen to you on another station. You're you're doing uh, this Italian, you know, Italian language, Italian music show. Yeah, well, I'm not bragging, but I speak Italian, French, Russian, and blue cheese. <laughs> That's the worst joke you're going to hear at this time of day. But I still have 90 minutes left, so I'm, I'll do my, what I can to out uh, outdo you. Hey, you know, you reference in that song, uh, and this is something that I think a lot of New Jersey motorists can appreciate, the tolls in New Jersey. Why does New Jersey get so crazy with those tolls? You got you got to have me on for two days to get this answer. <laughs> I, I can't believe <laughs> uh, it's it's I guess the cost of uh, being part of the metropolitan New York area. I mean, we get so used to it. On a typical year, when I was working uh, hundreds of shows a year, uh, a guy like me would pay uh, three thousand dollars, three thirty five hundred, four thousand a year in tolls. I mean, that's just part of our business. I mean, I know people come from Kentucky or they say, how do you people live in this area with it to go from uh, here to uh, Brooklyn and back where I live in Jersey? I mean, you know, it's just the tolls. Uh, but we get used to it. And, and, you know, what can we do? 
Um, I'm more concerned that the the, the dollar stores uh, are raising nets are now up to a dollar sixty nine. I mean, I know what about the gasoline? I went to the gas station. I said, "Give me five dollars worth." The guy said, "Here, smell the nozzle." <laughs> It's so good to hear you uh, talking to me. I want to tell your audience something. I went through some health issues and everything, and Frank Morano had called my former wife and spoke to family members to make sure I was okay. I'll never forget you, Frank. For oh, that. well, li- likewise. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe there's something to be, um, you know, maybe there's a joke to be made about me calling your former wife, you know, rather than someone you're in a current relationship with. But uh, but that's great that you guys still have a good relationship. Well, you have to because we have children. And, um, and I tell you, I've been married so many times. They threw so much rice at me, I opened my own Chinese restaurant. <laughs> I don't think that's funny. <laughs> uh, so, you know, last week we did a, um, we did a, a tribute to uh, – actually, I guess it was two weeks ago to, – to Joe Franklin because it was his birthday. Now, Joe thought the world of you. You and Joe were pretty close, it seems. Until what? You're going to drop the shoe now? No, you tell me. You tell me. He sued me. What, what did he sue you for? Malicious parody. Now, I love Joe Franklin. And uh, anyway, they served me the uh, lawsuit during a telephone. We're talking in New York City. It was WPIX-TV. And uh, someone from MTV was introducing me on stage. And a guy shows up with the lawsuit papers and says, you're Floyd Vivino, a.k.a. Uncle Floyd? I says, yeah. Here, he handed me the papers. But uh, it was for malicious parody. Uh, for those, and I, Joe Franklin, my friend, is big news, big, big, big news. I was a year. We're here with Frank Morano and Uncle Floyd. He sued me because I did a, a routine on my show where I had as one of Joe Franklin's guests. Well, first of all, I called him Joe Frankfurter, but he, <laughs> it was a pistachio nut expert. And back then, the red dye, I don't know if you remember the red dye. It was when you ate pistachio nuts, your lips would turn oh, sure. red and your yeah. fingertips. And the guest, one of my characters from my TV show, had to, we had to put lipstick on and red all over his fingertips. And he had a book, The History of People Who Ate Pistachio Nuts. <laughs> and it was a picture of Napoleon with the red lipstick on. <laughs> I am amazed that Joe didn't find that funny. He says, but uh, my friend uh, Billy Crystal does me with love, with love. And he actually told me, I love you like a son, Uncle Floyd. I said, then why are you suing me like this? He's big news, big, big news. Did, like, you, I like, <laughs> did you guys ever patch things up? Yeah, because I had to sign a ridiculous paper that said I would never mention him the rest of my career. Oh, my goodness. Well, I guess I, I hope that doesn't mean your career's over by no. responding to my question. <laughs> no, it was just a lot of BS. I mean, uh, a few people in the industry stuck up for me and made a point of it, but I was shocked and, 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 and thanked about I, that. I, I always felt that your shows were kind of cousins. I always felt like, um, you know, your your show was maybe the New Jersey alternative or the New Jersey parallel to what Joe was doing in New York. Is that a, is that fair? Oh, I'd be honored to take that. I he, I thought I loved Joe Franklin's show, but uh, the TV show and the radio show for years. Uh, I'd be up in the Catskill Mountains at late night coming back at, uh, after midnight, and he was on to like 5 a.m. at one point on Saturday nights. 
and playing old records and <laughs> and it was just, I, I felt the world of Joe Franco. And finally, he said to me at a big industry on well, a radio uh, host in New York had a big party every year. Uh, Danny Styles was his name. Sure. And and he said. Uh, Joe Franklin got on the mic and he says, and Uncle Floyd is here, my friends. Uh, we had a big, big, big uh, dispute years ago, but I want you to know, my friends, I, I, he said, Joe Franklin said, I buried the hatchet. I So I got on the mic and I says, and yeah, Joe, and remember this, you brought the hatchet. <laughs> so I didn't think that would get me more trouble with him, but no, it didn't. And that's, that's I, very I miss him funny. dearly. So, as do I. He was a very close friend. But By the way, we do have a lot of younger listeners, and we're thankful to be getting uh, more and more listeners all the time. If you were to try and describe the Uncle Floyd show to someone, which was very, very popular for literally decades. How would you describe the Uncle Floyd show to somebody? It was a hodgepodge of my career. I came, and I say this proudly. I know I've taken a lot of abuse for this, but I came from a circus background and carnival. I worked in amusement parks, and then, of course, I was in burlesque, and I brought all this with me, and we, we did a very strange show we had the Ramones on. A lot of punk bands would come on my show as a guest. They wanted to come on. That's why we had them on. And I had people like Tiny Tim on more than anybody. Mm. And sometimes the show would get kind of crazy. We, uh, from the Soupy Sales show, Frank Nastasi was on a few times. But mostly the punk bands uh, gravitated to what I did. But we also had the banjo parlors and, and the honky-tonk piano that I play. And we did a lot of wraparound comedy skits based on the celebrities of the day. Uh, Dr. Carl Sagan was big with his uh, billions and billions of years ago. Uh, the asteroids came down from the stratosphere, And we, we did uh, a takeoff on Dr. Martin A. Bend, uh, uh, all kinds of little TV parodies. And I had a comedy troupe with me, but I paid for the airtime, which I was an air broker, the same as Joe Franklin was years ago. We we brought we brought the advertisers to the station, and I got to keep the profits after I paid the crew, the production costs, and everything else. I want to do a book about it. No, I, I'd love to read that. Tell folks how you uh, ended up choosing Uncle Floyd as the name for the program. I was with the circus, and we were traveling around, and President Nixon got on television and said, we've run, and this was in, uh, I guess, November of 1973, and he says, uh, my uh, Americans, we fe- ran out of fossil fuel, and there is no more fossil fuel, and uh, we're going to have to stay close to home and, and deal with this and come up with some solution. And I says, oh, boy. Now, at that point, even circus and carnival, we were doing indoor circuses at that time. Uh, we've got to uh, get out of here, I said. I was way down in Florida. They came back to New Jersey, and I says, what in the world am I going to do now? If I can't travel around, there was very strict gas, rest- and gas was threatening to go up, listen to this, to 50 cents a gallon, which people were... <laughs> the good old days. Uh, yeah, and people were upset about that, and they said, that's nothing. Bread, we hear, is going to go up to a dollar a loaf. Uh, it was a terrible a time, economically straining on many millions of Americans. So I came back to New Jersey, and I went and lived with my parents. I, I was young. I was uh, 23 years old. And uh, make a long story short, uh, 
I said, let me do some TV. I did enough TV. So I walked into a TV station, and I said, UHF station in Newark, New Jersey. And I says, I just got back. I was on tour. I had a TV show, a kiddie show called Uncle Floyd out of the top of my head. But that wasn't true, obviously. No, it wasn't true. But uh, I had come from circus background and carnival world, and I could talk about anything, especially if I didn't know anything about the subject matter. And they put me, they says, okay, we're going to give you a show, Uncle Floyd. That's a great idea. That great, sounds great. I says, well, great. Well, let's talk about one thing. Who's going to pay me? He says, your producer will pay you. I says, producer, well, who's that? And they said, you, you're the producer. You bring us the money and you go right on the air. And this is non-union. Um, later, I, be, I became a member of AFTRA, American Federation of Radio Television Arts. But, uh, and, and you know, you know, I was a, a union man when, when I used to tell my children's stories at night, little children's stories. Once upon a time and a half, there were. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it the old-fashioned way. I, I had Tom Carvel was possibly my biggest and. Even A.M.P. Food, the Food Emporium, sponsored me on on radio and all. So I did radio and TV that way. So I know what it takes to produce a radio show, to produce a television show, and I know what it takes to sell advertising. Both of those are full time job. Now, how did you go about producing, starring in in a show, and then selling advertising for it? I mean, the, the, I, I can't imagine the time management involved. Take me through what your schedule was like in those schedule days. It was very easy, but I must say this in all respect to my three marriages. It took a, it took a strain on a marriage. Oh, I can imagine. Getting up and hitting the road. I would drive in a circle every day. A circle meaning I started in New Jersey. If I went to Astoria, Queens to pick up money from a sponsor, then I made sure after that I may go out to Long Island, then end up in the Bronx and then come back to Jersey uh, or Bergen County over the GW Bridge, pick up money from a sponsor, and do and, and make a circle every day. That's the only way to do it. But, Frank, that's a great question, but the answer is very simple. I loved it. I loved every aspect of it. And, and you did well for a while there, right? I did very well for a while. Sure, I made money. I, I, had a, I blew all my money. Um, I have two brothers that are very famous in show business, my brother Jerry and Jimmy, and they're, they're, they're wonderful musicians. To make a long story short, there's a joke in the industry. If you gave the Vivino brothers a million dollars each, or $10 million each, whatever, uh, my brother Jimmy would give it all away. Jimmy has a big heart. He'd give the $10 million to all his friends. My brother Jerry would wisely invest it. And me, I would take that $10 million and buy a radio station or an old theater somewhere, something to make me work more. <laughs> I think you're a man after my own heart in that respect. Uh, we're talking with Uncle Floyd, Floyd Vivino. There's still some uh, some clips of the old Uncle Floyd show on YouTube. There's also a, uh, a terrific website which uh, can tell you a little bit about what Uncle Floyd is doing now and some of the other things that he's done called UncleFloyd.net. Uh, that's UncleFloyd.net. You mentioned your brothers, uh, Jerry and Jimmy. They were big parts of the basic cable band, formerly the Max Weinberg 7. That was the house band for Conan O'Brien's show. W- what are they doing now, now that that is no longer no longer a thing? Well, Jerry's counting his money, and, and Jimmy's still giving it away. No, I love my brothers dearly, and they are in California. My brother Jerry lives in Simi Valley, and my brother Jimmy in Burbank. And we did a big show. We did a family reunion show in uh, December 2nd. The show sold out in like 10 minutes, 
at a high school we all went to. Anyway, make a long story short, somebody's doing a documentary on it called The Vanishing American Showbiz Families. At one time, show business was strictly a family affair, pretty much. So were farmers, so were military people, so were educators, a lot of doctors, a lot of people who had stores and businesses from dry goods to restaurants. It was a family business. We, Me and my brothers, we never thought we would do anything. We never worried about going to college because we were going to go do our family business, which is show business. And it was that simple. There was no question about it. Did any of your children uh, try a career, their hand at a career in entertainment? I uh, No, they didn't. And um, I'm... That's what that's what happens. See, I had the the gene. The uh, my mother acted in Italian immigrant theater. Her father, my grandfather, produced it. Like you've heard of the Yiddish theater. Well, the Italians had a comparable equal, but it traveled. It didn't stay stationary like the Jewish theaters. The Yiddish theaters were on Second Avenue. They were a little bit more organized. But uh, and my father played trumpet. My father got out of the music industry shortly after I was born figuring the big bands were breaking up at an alarming rate at the time, and uh, he would be away from home. He loved my mother more than show business, and that's, that's the truth. And I, I can't say that I divorced three women, but I could not divorce show business. Mm. Uh, now, you've become so identified with New Jersey over the years, much like uh, my friend and colleague uh, Joe Piscopo. You're almost synonymous with the state of New Jersey. You, you could, I'm sure, live anywhere, including you know across the river in New York. What makes you choose to stay in New Jersey? What do you think it is that makes New Jersey so special? Well, it's it's here, my family. Okay, if you want to get the real reason is I I couldn't leave this area because I have too many relatives living here. But I love everything about the metropolitan New York, New Jersey area. We never said we were going to New York. We're going to the city. That's all we said in Jersey. Hop on the bus anytime you like and get a bus right into either 175th Street or down by 42nd Street, the bus terminals. Get on the subway. Do what we have to do. It's that simple. We grew up here. We I'm a couple of minutes from out of my house. I could see the New York City skyline if you're on Route 3. I mean, it's we're just part of New York City. We, we think we are anyway, up in northern New Jersey. You know, South Jersey is Philadelphia show. What time is your show on, Floyd? Floyd. <laughs> Such a difference between a South Jersey accent and a North Jersey accent, yeah. am I right? We've a lot more than that. Even words like pork roll and Taylor ham. Oh yeah, forget about it. They'll, they'll fight a war over that. Speaking of South Jersey, you know, you have done some great performances in Atlantic City over the years. Any uh, any forthcoming Atlantic City dates in the offing? I worked at a casino for years, but unfortunately, I was told now that I'm too old. There's no uh, one. Put, I won't mention it and get into it. But this is this is part of show business. They didn't want any comedians over the age of fifty five. You kidding now? This would be a national story with any other occupation, but comics and show people, and I'm proud to be a member of the show people, we're tough. We don't care what anybody says or tries to do to us. We laugh it off and tell them to go blank themselves. That's all. Well, you know, uh, that is such a shame. I know Jay Leno uh, performed at the Ocean in Atlantic City this weekend at 71, and uh, people were thrilled to see him. I think there are a lot of... He's a big, big star. Now, there's a big difference. The guys I'm talking about were the low rung of show business. We're the guys who hung on forever, 50, 60 years in this business, just knocking around, never getting a cup of coffee in the major leagues, but loving the game so much we couldn't let go of it. Yeah, no, I, trust me, I know a lot of uh, 
radio folks that uh, that fit that same same description. So your show, which was sort of um, it was it worked on two levels. You could watch it as a child. I certainly did, and enjoy it as a children's show. There were characters, there were puppets, there were voices. It was fun, but it also worked on an adult level because you made references to Joe Franklin, The Godfather, everything, and really a lot of adult themes, and it worked on multiple levels. It really was a so out of its time. Shows like Pee Wee's Playhouse with uh, Pee Wee Herman, you could tell, were clearly inspired by you. Mario can Antone did a show on Channel 9 called Steampipe Alley. I think that was your show without the uncle in front of it. Do you think a show like yours, like the kind of one that you did, could work today on television in 2022? Oh, I've tried so much to pitch it. I wanted to do a show called Baby Boomer Follies. And uh, and it was you had to be at least 55 years old to get into the theater to be part of the studio audience. And we'd have a doctor there and we would, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you don't stop thinking about things like that. I would I'd do it in a heartbeat. I spoke with people, even Bob Smigel, pe- big, big, big people in show business. And I wanted to do that. Uh, uh, show business. You know what show business is? And, you know, Frank, as a radio man, you know, there's a. An old saying, radio people would say, I want to die with a mic in my hand, you know, at the microphone. And we say that, Milton Berle used to say it to everybody, we want to die taking a bow. Mm. It's all we know. Retirement is a word we we fear more than anything. And as long as we have the health to continue working, we keep, we live for that. that. That's what we do. And a lot of us believe that's what our calling is. We have to do that. You know, President Roosevelt, they they cut out the end of – remember that speech he made after Pearl Harbor? He goes, December 7, 1941, a day that shall live in infamy. Now, when he stopped that, he continued. We never hear the second part. I'll do it quickly. It's very short. And now I address the entertainment community of these United States of America – you, performers, it is your job to continue with your musicals, your vaudevilles, and your varieties. It is your purpose, and, and it is your purpose now to uplift the national spirit of our American people. Now, that's old, old world, old fashioned, old school, everything in one shot. And- I love it. I love it. That is, uh, that is uh, t- absolutely terrific. You've been in some terrific films over the years. You've gotten to work with some of the biggest names in show business in, in cinema. Obviously, Good Morning Vietnam with Robin the legendary Williams was a delight. Robin a Williams delight. and, uh, uh, one of, a film that I love and I think is very underrated, a Steve Martin film called uh, Crazy People. How do you like doing movies as compared to live stage shows or television? I did them because the money was great, and you mm. got to rub elbows with celebrities, but I was not a fan of the of it because I was not artistically in control of what I did. Uh, I was in, in the movie Crazy People, for instance. Billy Smitrovich, who had a big role in that, uh, it was supposed to be people in, in uh, with mental, mental issues. right. And... Uh, he says, what do you want to be? I says, I want to be a dog. I'll be the dog, and you'll be the, the you carry, walk me around on a leash, and I'll bark, and every time I get out of hand, you give me a biscuit. And we showed it to Mitch Markowitz, and uh, uh, he was the writer, and became a good friend of mine, dear talent. Uh, he did Good Morning Vietnam, too. Make a long story short, they says, no, 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 no. Everything was no, 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 no. So I realized when I'm not in control of this any longer. It's all up to the editor 
and uh, the scriptwriter. And in Good Morning Vietnam, uh, Robin Williams treated me so nice. We would leave on every movie set. There's two groups of actors: the goody two shoes who go right home when the set closes down. They, God forbid they get a wrinkle on their face. And then there's the guys that go out and booze it up all night. I was with the guys that went around and boozed it up. Make a long story short, we'd be in Bangkok, Thailand, and I'd, they'd found a place with a piano, and we're singing songs and fooling around. And Robin Williams might walk in at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. He'd see us and put a ton of money on the bar and say to the bartender, those are my men. Don't let them pay for anything. And he would leave. The next day, we weren't allowed to even mention it to Robin Williams. Wow. We couldn't say thank you. He was that kind of guy. I thought he was, and I mean this, the smartest man I ever met. Well, certainly as a performer, I, I think I'd be hard-pressed to, uh, to name a performer that was more versatile and more, uh, more energetic. In terms of, uh, you know, uh, but I could talk with you all day. Um, two, two final questions that I want to ask you about before we run out of time here. I saw that uh, that Tony Petrillo passed away uh, last week. Um, tell folks who Tony Petrillo was. Well, he started as a cameraman uh, on my TV show back in 1974. But uh, his uh, one of his claims to fame was that uh, James Caesar Petrillo was a distant uncle, a, a great uncle of his. He was the man who caused the music shutdown in the in AF of American Federation of Musicians in 1943. When remember there was a, a year they didn't make records and they oh, it was a mess. Uh, uh, but 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 he was a friend of mine and he worked on the on the TV show briefly. He passed away, and he joins a long list of people who who did pass away from the show. Tony was I think 76. Hopefully it's not like that John Wayne movie Rio Grande where everybody died who was involved with it. Oh, I don't know. I, well, you know, there's a lot of that going on. The longer you live, the more people you know who died. I no, mean, that, no, I'm, I'm just teasing. And uh, no, no, my, my my mother used to say, as you get older, you get tougher. That's how people talked years ago. As you get older, you get tougher to survive. But uh, I miss Muggsy passed away, Doc Prentice. I mean, Yogi Narada's gone. A lot are gone. How is uh, how is Oogie? He's over here, but Oogie... Well, you want to say hello to Frank? Hello, Frank. Frank, I'm getting sick of Floyd. All he does is put words in my mouth. And, all right, now go, go, go away, go away. I do things too. I sing. I, I go, go back to bed. Why'd you have to bring him up? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, it is always a treat to talk with you, Uncle Floyd. Let's do this again soon. I hope we can get you in studio sometime. You're up for uh, curing your insomnia. Would love it. Thank you so much Thank for you. your support as a friend. Absolutely. You know I mean? uh, the great friend. Uncle Floyd. Find him on Facebook. He does like sort of a, a live podcast, which is fun. Or you could just go to UncleFloyd.net.